0: Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are very, very privileged to have Peter Meek uh, come to open God's Word with us this morning. For any of you who have never heard Pete before, you're in for a treat. Heard the Pete? (laughs) We are continuing in our Psalms series this morning, uh, and I think Pete just picked a short Psalm. Uh, We're in Psalm 1. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We'll just pray before Pete comes. Father God, as your people gathered here, we bow before you and we want to just acknowledge who you are, that you are the God of gods, that you are sovereign, and that you hold everything in your hand. Father, we bow before you in total awe of that. We bring nothing. We bring absolutely nothing to you. Father, this morning we ask that as we come in that posture that you will speak. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal the scriptures to us, that you would make much of Jesus. Help us to be aware of you, of your presence. Help us to know who we're coming to. Father, we pray for Pete now. We pray as he comes to open your word, Father, that you would use him in a mighty way. Father, take the words that he has prepared, Father, and just we Holy Spirit, we pray yeah, that you would just Use them in such a mighty way. We need you. He needs you. We just ask for your presence. We just pray this in your name. Amen.
1: Good morning, folks. <clears throat> I should uh, clarify some of the comments that Emily Murray has just made. This is the time of year if you're visiting, where John uh, John's taking a little break. And when Emily says you're very, very privileged, she is sort of saying it tongue-in-cheek. This is really the amateur fortnight. No more disrespect to John Nixon that comes next, where punters like us get dragged, uh, kicking and screaming to, uh, to, to preach. So uh, I hope you'll bear with me this morning as we work through this together. <clears throat> and uh, excuse me if I lose my place a couple of times and such things, but this morning we're turning to Psalm 1. And if you could get your Bible open and leave it open, I think you'd find it really uh, really useful. It's a bit like a GCSE poetry lesson, this. so we'll be jumping about and really staying in the passage. I would, I would sort of say at the start, um, if, you're, if your appetite is at all uh, wetted, I should say, by this this morning, John mentioned last week Alistair Begg, <clears throat> um, who somebody you could go and listen to. Alistair Begg does a seriously good uh, sermon on this over two parts on YouTube. Um, The first one is inside a church, the second one is actually outside, and there's two things really I want to say about that sermon. One, he'll do a hundred times a better job than I'm about to do here now, and the second thing is he does the second part of the sermon in a pair of Ray-Bans, so I don't think even John Irvine could pull off a pair of sunglasses during a sermon, so it really is worth tuning into. Um, Basically, we've been doing the Psalms now for two or three summers, I think. And in a way, it's strange that we haven't come to look at Psalm 1 now. Psalm 1 is described as many as really as the gateway to the Psalms. It sort of opens up the Psalms for us. Indeed, some commentators sort of join this with the next one. If you want to do a bit of reading when you go home, Psalm 2 as well. And describe them like two great pillars, one on each side, as the entrance gate to the Psalms. This morning, you'll be glad to know I'm only going to be looking at one of those, which is Psalm 1 and the sermon this morning if you look at that psalm the sermon could have been titled the two ways psalm 1 is about two paths or two different ways to live kidner in his commentary on psalm 1 describes it quite neatly he says the way of life and the way of doom it's a great phrase that isn't it for a good old country sunday morning sermon the way of life and the way of doom the psalm shows us two ways to live so we can see two paths side by side and we therefore, we can compare and contrast. It shows the big difference between the just and the unjust, between the righteous person and the unrighteous person. And a quick look through the psalm shows us how this psalm is really set out for us. If you look down in your Bibles, follow with me, as I say, it's a bit like a a GCSE text lesson. Verses one to three, that sort of chunk that's coming up, that describes the path of the, the righteous person. That's the way of life. One to three, that's the way of life. Four to five describes the path of the unrighteous person, the way of doom. And verse six gives us a bit of a summary. And this is how we're going to work through it this morning. We're going to take it section by section. And if you first of all look verse one to three, the path of the righteous person, a quick scan through, you'll see there's there's three verses there. Verse one gives us three negatives. What the righteous person is not like. Verse, verse one, three negatives what the righteous person's not like. Verse 2, we look at what the righteous person is described positively. And in verse 3, we get a couple of metaphors, a couple of wee stories to try and kick the point home. So with three negatives, one positive, and two metaphors. So let's look first at verse 1. Blessed is the man. When you come here and you see this word blessed, instead of thinking of blessed, I know we're just out of the, the Beatitudes where we, we, we got a good dose of the blessed. When you see it here, the commentators already say, don't think blessed, think happy. Think of 1 Kings 10, 8, really just is the same word, and it translates, happy are your men, happy are the servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. So when you hear blessed here, think happy is the man. So read with me. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. See, you begin here with a person walking, then standing, then sitting. You could think to yourself, this verse is really just saying the same thing three times, isn't it? Or you could be saying the same thing just three different ways. It's just really kicking the point home. But there's an intensification to this. There's a slide here that takes you deeper and deeper. There's a progression. That's what the Psalm's trying to show you. You see, first of all, what it's trying to say here is you start off walking in the counts of the wicked. And another way of saying this is you start picking up the advice, you start listening to the wicked. And if you listen to the advice of the wicked long enough, well, then you eventually stand in the way of the wicked. Now, I must confess, when I first started to to read this and work my way through it, I couldn't understand how you go from walking to standing. But Don Carson, to be fair, um, makes makes the point to sort of explain it better. He said, don't really think of standing, don't think of blocking, but think that you're standing in someone's shoes. So what he means is, so you begin by listening to this advice of the ungodly, and pretty soon you're standing in their shoes. You absorb their lifestyle Now you start acting like them. And if you continue along this path, you're walking, you're standing. Pretty soon after that, you've sat down, you've joined them. And if you're trying to think through these steps in your head, I think everybody in this room has heard a sermon on this verse from their mother or father, or you've given it to your own kids. Let me explain. You might remember hearing your mum say to you back in the day, or maybe you've said it to your kids. I don't want to see you hanging out with those lads or those girls, because I know it's equal. You can get, you can get scumbags all over. And if you hang out with Emmons, it's only going to lead you into trouble. And one day you maybe even do something wrong and your mum says, or maybe you say something out of turn and your mum says, where did you learn to talk like that? You've been hanging out with them, haven't you? You've been doing exactly what I told you not to. You see, every parent, your mum knew this without maybe even reading verse 1. She knew already what this verse is trying to tell us. It's a slippery slope. Once you start listening to the fools, soon you start thinking like a fool. Then you start acting like a fool, and eventually you become a fool. Walking, standing, sitting. You see the slide, don't you? We move from a casual acquaintance with sin to involvement with sin to entrapment with sin. See, that, that's how sin works. That's what it's saying here. First, we're tempted. The first tip, the first sip tastes so good, doesn't it? Sure, what's the harm? I click on the next link just to see what it's all about. Yet the Bible warns us over and over again how deadly sin is. Sin does not want part of you, you see. Sin wants all of you. God is saying here, be careful that you don't even put one foot on this ladder. Be careful in case you end up sitting with the scoffers, the scorners, and the fools. Proverbs three thirty four reminds us of the dangers. Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but the, but the fools get disgrace. Three negatives, one positive, two metaphors. So we'll move on to the positive. Look with me if you can at verse 2 but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You maybe would expect, if we're back in our GCSE poetry lesson, I suppose, if you get three negatives, you maybe would expect three positives to sort of counterbalance this. But in a way, it's very telling. And a statement in itself, we only get one positive here. Three ways you shouldn't live, it only takes one to kick home how you should live. One criteria alone is enough to define the righteous person here, but his delight is in the way of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What stands opposed to the counsel of the wicked? The law of the Lord. What are we talking about here is more than just the commandments. It's another way of saying God's revelation, the whole Bible. You see, we live in a world today, don't we? I'm not going to go into it, That seems to be changing so quickly. Things once accepted very clearly as right or wrong, true or false, things 50 years ago, all of us collectively knew, well, that's right, isn't it, or that's wrong, now seem blurred a bit, don't they? And in fact, if anything, there's a lot of stuff going on that I just don't understand at all. I don't understand how anybody sees that as right or anybody sees certain things as wrong. But what are we to do? How on earth, with everything going on, all the stuff coming at us, How do we find firm ground? How do we find something that we can lean on? C.S. Lewis has a nice wee phrase for this: "Their delight in the law is a delight in having touched firmness, like the pedestrian's delight in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled them in muddy fields." Do you know those times when you go away with your family? If you're a dad, you'll you'll sympathise with this, and you're holding on to everything. You're maybe up on the north coast on the beach you've got deck chairs, your arms are laden. And some reason, I don't know why, there's a shortcut taken up over the top of a dune because the path's just there. And you know near the top, you, your feet are slipping and you're slipping, your arms are killing you, and then eventually you find the path. That relief when you go from somewhere where you can barely stand to touching down on that National Trust nice path is a great feeling. That's what it's saying amongst all the madness the Word is like to us delight in the law of the Lord, and on his, on his law meditate day and night. It's firm ground. We all do this, don't we? We all know this, don't we? But why don't we spend more time in the Word? Maybe you do. Maybe some of you guys, and I know some of you guys definitely have this down more than I do, but I definitely fall really short here. See, you know the phrase, you are what you eat, and I know that's very rich coming from me. You maybe want to lose some weight you want to be healthier, we all know what you have to do. Eat well. Eat good nourishing food every day. But if I eat junk food day after day, we all know where this ends up. I'll be twice the size. The question really is for us this morning when you read this verse, spiritually speaking, what are you feeding on day after day? Are we delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, or are we walking in the counts of the wicked, having our minds turned this way and that. But I get it. Don't don't get me wrong. I have five kids. I work in Belfast. I get it. We are seriously busy, aren't we? There's just really not enough hours in the day sometimes for me to do anything. But as I was preparing this, I came across a clinker from John Piper that puts this verse sort of in perspective for us. John Piper said, God invented Facebook to remind us all that we really have time to read the Bible. Now, Maybe for you it's not Facebook. In, in that space, maybe you could put your app of choice. Maybe it's TikTok. Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's YouTube. But you know where I'm going with that. I have to ask this, my, this question to myself first. How often do I check my phone? Fair enough. I'll be honest. Some of it's needed. I work on my phone. And some of it's chatting to friends. And some of it is the best to crack. But how much of it's just me, maybe yourself, scrolling on and on and on? Do you know what we should do? And we're not—we're not going to do this. You could be thankful, but we should nearly do a screen time challenge, shouldn't we? In church here, to see much how much time we spend on our phones. If you don't know how to do it, somebody will show you after the church. I'm sure you can go in and actually see how much time you're spending on your phone, and I can break it down by app, or I can just show you a nice total. Imagine the hours and hours. Just this week. Sometimes when we do it, because we have Jacob and our guys are just starting to get phones, we, we would talk about this quite a bit in our house. But imagine if I took some of that time and in spe- instead spent it just reading the Bibles, even 10%. Or simply sat quietly with that time meditating on a verse. Or maybe just quietly in prayer. You see, imagine if instead of lying in my bed re- reading the news, I got up and read my Bible. All those gaps in the day where I reach for the phone just to kill five or ten minutes, sure, I'm just killing time, are the times when I'm in my room and my wife and kids are sitting there and I'm just sat on the corner scrolling through my phone. Imagine if I took some of that time to just pray, read my Bible. Imagine just some of that time my kids looked over in the living room and instead of me telling Jacob to please put his phone down for the hundredth time that day, he turned around and saw me reading my Bible in the corner. Maybe that would be a better example, wouldn't it? Or maybe even take just a little bit of that time that time that I'm wasting to actually tell my kids about God, maybe read the Bible with them, and maybe pray with them. But I'm too busy. I'll show some of you if you want after my own screen time, because I am definitely preaching to myself here. But here's another challenge as we're all just sat in the same room. Imagine if collectively, we all took some of that time, added it together, and looked to do something together. Maybe meeting up for Bible study, maybe going for prayer together, or maybe if we just took 10% of that app time together and plied it into Freeland, I wonder what it would be like. You see, this simple verse is a big challenge to what's on offer to us. Find time to meditate in the Word. Joshua 1.8 tells us, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So with three negatives, one positive, two metaphors. So let's now, as we do, turn to, turn to verse three and have a look in your Bible with me as we look at verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Well, the first thing that that jumps out at you here is this tree is planted. This is a wee metaphor to try and just illustrate everything we've chatted about here. So first you see the tree is planted. There's a gardener at work here. This is not just some random tree grown in a forest this tree was specifically planted for this spot. God chooses, chooses where to place us for our good. There is a purpose and a plan for our lives. No one is here this morning by accident. But I'm sure, I'm sure some of you have wished maybe you'd gone somewhere else right now, but nobody is here by accident. And if you look at Psalm 139 verse 16, it explains it nicely. Your eye saw my uninformed body, all the days of day for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You were planted. That's what this verse is saying. The second thing this metaphor is telling us about the tree, we see that the tree is planted by streams of water. Now, when I read the commentary on this and, and the guys that know more that they're talking about, they say, don't think of it as one stream. What, what it's really trying to get here is that it's more likened to lots and lots of canals. See, this tree is planted not by one, but several canals flowing around it. These canals flow round it, giving life-giving water. This is a tree, you see, that has deep, strong roots. And come what may, it is fixed firm, and it draws from life-giving water below. This tree is getting its strength from below. The third thing we can point out about this tree, it yields its fruit in season. In all it does, he prospers. As you delight and meditate day and night on God's Word, it says, you produce fruit in every season. The key phrase here really is every season. Every season of life is not just the good times, but it's the tough times as well. That's, this is not really shirking away from it. And what do we mean by the fruits and season? Well, one of the commentaries lists some, some examples for us. Thanksgiving in seasons of plenty, faith in seasons of doubt, patience in suffering, peace in turmoil, mercy when wronged, gentleness when falsely accused, strength in temptation. That's what it's talking about. And you see, it, it neatly ends for us with, and its leaf does not wither. We, we sort of get that already, don't we? Here it tells us when the tough times come, when the, tr- the tree does not wither because its roots go far below to the surface to drink from the water his gardener supplies. You see, and the Psalms don't go in for the it's all good approach to life. Don Carson does a really good job. He goes off on a five-minute rant about this, really just saying the Psalms is a great book to read as you get older. Do you know when you get older and you've maybe been knocked about a bit, when life pushes and pulls you in every direction, no doubt you have the good times, But you know the times when you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're happy, you're angry, you're scared, you're sad. The real life stuff, the real stuff, like it's only as you get older you start staying up at night, don't you? You lie in bed thinking about things, that sort of real life stuff. All of it's in the Psalms. I think it's no accident when you listen to guys like Tim Keller and you listen to guys like Don Carson. Even Tim Keller, as we all know, he, he recently passed away. If you listen to some of his stuff, he he recently just went into the Psalms more and more. He was doing lots of talks and lots of, and kept referencing the Psalms. Why? Because he was seeing, he was going through the storms. He was coming near his end, and he just saw it all play out in the Psalms. And in this metaphor, we're not promised independence for those seasons, as we say. There's tests and times, but we have something sustaining us, something supporting us, so we do not wither. Jeremiah seventeen seventy eight actually mirrors this. It actually mirrors this very metaphor, but it, and it puts it a different, slightly different way for us. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is a, like a tree planted by water that sends its roots out by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The second metaphor is trying to give us the opposite of this. And we're presented here with the way of chaff. Now, I am sure near enough everybody in this room knows about the way of the wheat and the chaff. If you're, if you're new to this one, it's a, it's a simple principle. They're talking about when you, when you were trying to separate the wheat from the chaff, you traditionally threw it up in the air. I've never seen it. This is just from a Sunday school lesson back in the day. I'll have to take their word for it. But you threw it up in the, the air and just conveniently the wheat, the bit you wanted, the the, the money bit, as you'd say, the most valuable bit, the bit where all the goodness is, the bit where the money is, the bit that you want conveniently drops to the ground. And this chaff, this chaff, this waste product just blew away. Great system, throw it up in the air, the good stuff stays, and the stuff nobody gives a hoot about just blows away. It's weightless, and it's worthless. And it can be compared here when you think about it in terms of us Judges 9, four, vain and light persons, weightless and worthless. That's what it's talking about here. You see, the way of chaff it's trying to tell us here, it maybe looks impressive at the start, maybe even sounds smart, maybe even it brings fame or wealth, maybe it brings a lot of stuff that looks attractive. But the Bible says that if you choose this path and it's all you hold dear, it simply will just blow away in the wind you see, the way of the tree, which we've just looked at, is slow and steady. It pushes down deeper and deeper roots, growing stronger ring by ring, bearing fruit in its season. The good seasons and the bad, that's the tree. Whereas the, but the chaff in the long run will flip. It's gone so fast, isn't it? It's here today, gone tomorrow. The chaff is nothing but dust. That's where that path goes. It turns to dust. And so, we sort of walk into the last verse, where we see the parting of the two ways. Verses 5 and 6, if you look with me. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is where the two paths split. You see, the end of this psalm starts to look towards eternal life as it ends. It sort of of takes an umbrella view of what's going on, and it reminds us again, as I say, of these two ways, the way of life and the way of doom. See how it links back into the start of the psalm? The wicked, and it's going back to what we talked about, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the the righteous. It's a deliberate echo of verse 1. You see, when things come to an end— and get serious. The wicked, when they really need to stand in the judgment, they will not stand. And the sinners, those folks who sit with the mockers now, at the end, they will not sit in the congregation of the righteous. Stand with the sinners now. That's what this is basically telling us. Or stand in the judgment later. There's only two ways on offer. Stand with the sinners now, or stand in the judgment later. That's it. There's no third way. There's no blurred way. It's two paths. But in this end of this psalm, really for us, we have to say points to only one person, and it's Jesus. And this is where we're going to finish up this morning, folks. You see, Jesus is the only one to ever really live out verse one. Look at verse one again. Jesus, and if you look at it, Jesus never walked in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus never stood in the way of sinners, and Jesus never sat with the scoffers. He's the only one to ever walk through that first verse and completely adhere to it. So, you have to ask yourself this morning, where does this path leave us? How do we get any of the real blessings on offer? Pete, you've just walked us through these blessings. You've just talked us this. You've just showed us two paths. And now you're saying, well, Jesus is the only one. How do we have any hope of being able to walk in the right path, the way of life? Well, John 14:6 really just kicks this home for us. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is the only way, folks. You want to know which path to take? Jesus is the path. You see, your heavenly Father knows you. He knows us. It says that word in this verse, and I maybe should have gone into it in this, this uh, Sam. That, that they talk about your Father knows you. It's not just knows of you. He knows you. He knows your soul. God knows your deepest and darkest secrets. He knows the stuff that goes through my head that I'd never want to share with my wife, my mum, or my daughter. He knows those stuff, those, those deep secret things that I have running about my soul. He knows those. And He knows the time that all of us, including myself, we stray from the path time and time again. I even laughed, actually, as I read the bit where I talked about lying in my bed reading the news. After writing that last night, what did I do this morning? I did just that. He knows those times that I stray off the path. You see, but because of Jesus, you and I get the blessings promised in this psalm. Because of Jesus, we get those blessings. Because of Jesus, you and I get to stand in the judgment at the end. And because of Jesus, one day, you and I get to sit in the congregation of the righteous. I get to sit. In the congregation of the righteous because of Jesus. You see, folks, if you take just one thing away from that psalm this morning as we walk through it, Jesus is the only path that lasts forever. Choose Jesus. Thank you, folks. I'll just finish in prayer before Marcus comes up. Father, thank you for this psalm this morning. Thank you for the lessons that you show us, Father, about the two paths and the way we should live. Father, help us to, to better use our time. Help us to grow to, to love your word, Father. Help us to grow to want to spend time in your word and with you, Father. I pray also, Father, that you'll, you'll turn us to, to see Jesus, to see your son. Your son, Father, who, who came for us even though we don't deserve it, Father, even though we keep straying from the path. You knew that path, Father, and you sent your son for us, who died for us that we might live. Amen.